You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game Podcast. I'm Robert Smith. Today's guest joins us from Washington, Missouri, where she's the fair manager of the Washington Town and Country Fair. Jennifer Giesick, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Did I get the name correct? You did. I was, I was actually thinking, oh boy, I forgot to tell him how to say that. But you, Right, but I think yeah. I've heard Marla maybe announce it enough at IFE that I'm like, I'm <laughs> 99% sure it's Giesick. The good thing is we're recording this ahead of time. So if I do, I would really read it and apologize <laughs> sheepishly. sheepishly. Uh, so listen, thanks for coming on the show today. For those of folks listening, I mean, we've got about nine listeners now, so we're very excited with that. What can you tell our nine listeners about your fair? Um, well, we are the third largest fair in Missouri. Um, we're located about 50 miles west of St. Louis. And um, we've got entertainment, main stage entertainment, five days of the, uh, of the fair. We're, yeah, we're always the first Wednesday through Sunday in August. And um, we've, we've got a main stage on one end of the fairgrounds and a motorsports arena on the other end of the fairgrounds. We run five nights of entertainment on both um, the stage and the, uh, in the motorsports arena. Then we have our livestock kind of in the middle of the fairgrounds and, um, yeah, so just, just a good hometown, uh, fair. We, we reach a lot of, uh, people within a pretty, pretty decent, you know, mile radius. We look, we reach from like St. Louis and Rolla. Um, so some bigger surrounding areas, but, um, yeah, we're, we're pretty proud of our little fair here. So you pull people all the way from St. Louis to Rolla, huh? We do. Yes. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. You know who was born in Rolla, Missouri? No idea. Shannon Miller, Olympic gymnast. One of the most decorated oh, yeah. Olympic gymnasts ever was born yeah. in Rolla, Missouri. Yeah. yeah. Completely right. random trivia for out of nowhere on the show today. <laughs> so that's listen, right. how did you, um, how'd you come to be the fair manager there at the Washington Town and Country Fair? Well, I showed animals at the fair, uh, exhibited um, in our 4-H building as well. Uh, and so when I, and my dad um, actually was on the fair board. And um, when I graduated high school, they started, they had just started a new um, tent called Eggerland. And they were looking for some uh, assistance to help out with our Eggerland tent. And so myself and a, another good friend of mine, her and I um, kind of became the main assistants for the Eggerland. And we did that for a couple of years. And then uh, while we were both in college, uh, and then I actually got married and was came into the chamber office because the, the chamber runs the fair and uh, came in the chamber office to uh, pick up something. And the girl said, hey, our fair coordinator is, retire is um, leaving. How about you put in for that position? And I thought, well, that might be something I would enjoy. My major was agriculture. So um, here, so I did that. And 20 years later, here I am. I've Started out as the fair coordinator and then moved into the uh, president and CEO position of the chamber, which is also the fair manager position of the fair, um, I guess in 2012. So um, here I am. And you've been going strong ever since. That's right. <laughs> so most fairs I notice, most fairs are, you know, the such and such state fair, or such and such county fair. You have somewhat of a unique name for your event. Can you tell us how the fair came to be named the Washington Town and Country Fair? Sure. So we, um, we, 
the fair actually started before the chamber did. Um, and then uh, the chamber pretty much took it on as the fundraiser. So that's a little bit of a unique uh, relationship that a lot of fairs don't have. So we, um, so the fair is basically the fundraiser for the chamber. And um, it's really for the Washington community. We don't, we're not a count, we're, we're located in Franklin County and we already have a, a Franklin County Youth Fair. And um, so we, you know, we just went with Washington Town and Country Fair and uh, it, it's worked ever since. So we just, um, like I said, we pull from a lot of different areas and um, we work with a lot of our county fairs around us, but we really are kind of our own standalone um, fair. Got it. So you are the fundraiser. That fair is the fundraiser for your Chamber of Commerce. Correct. Yes. Fantastic. Now you, it, it was, I understand that correctly. You've got, you know, 20 some odd years of experience working Correct. within the industry. Yeah. I'm curious because I've started asking people this. Um, if you weren't working in this industry, what do you think you'd be doing? Well, to be honest with you, I, I, when I graduated college, um, I just graduated with a general ag degree because I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do in the ag field. And, um, one of the things I had to do between before I could graduate was I had to do an internship and um, my professor said why don't you go work on a golf course and work in the maintenance department and cut grass and do all of that and so he set me up with a golf course um, here just down the road absolutely loved it wow. um, and so I, I would tell you that that was what I was going to do I thought about going back and getting my turf management degree um, so I don't know if that's where I would still be, but um, had I not got this job, I think that was where my path was going to take me. You would be maintaining golf courses. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, I, I come from a farm. Um, I'm the oldest of three girls. And so my dad um, utilized me for all kinds of farm work when I was younger. And I bet. Uh, yeah, so it just um, being outside and being on the golf course, um, cutting grass and just doing working with my hands and that manual labor is definitely uh, right up my alley. So. Interesting. Yeah. I've often pondered what, if I wasn't an entertainer doing work in fairs, what I would be doing. And I don't know that I could breathe if I wasn't entertaining. Like that's, it's just come to me that that's, it's what I do. And, uh, but that's very interesting that you would be doing turf management for, for golf courses. And if you think about it, you know, I suppose at first you could think, well, that's just, you're just cutting the grass, but that's a lot of acreage that you have to maintain and, you know, make sure there's no brown spots and it's not, you don't have grass rot now. I and mean, that's a lot of acreage on it, those golf courses. It is. And the crazy part is, um, right. I, I did work on, on the golf course before. And after I did my internship and before I even started working here, I went back there and I worked for, um, for several months and they were, getting ready to send me to get my spray, my license, you know, to, to be able to, uh, pesticide license, to be able to chemical license to spray. And, um, I mean, I was right there in that with all of them and wow. loved every minute of it. So it, actually it's kind of, kind of, uh, ironic now because my daughter who is, uh, she's a senior this year and, um, just down the road from us is another, um, 300 acre farm and they have about 10 acres of grass. Um, and she's been cutting it for the last three years. And, um, she just talked to me the other day and said, you know, I think I could do this for a living. So I thought, wow, you're falling right into your mom's footsteps, cutting that grass. But uh, 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question completely unfair related, completely grass related, because as you're talking about <laughs> oh, this, I'm getting my interest is getting peaked here. You know, it's free agent signing time for for Major League Baseball, and I've always wondered how the heck do they cut the outfield grass so it looks like a checkerboard or it has a pattern on it? How does that work? Well, you have um, different like with your lawnmower because it's the same way. Um, like on the on the golf course, they have like they have rollers. So that's why you see I'm cutting, you know, cutting opposite ways. Um, so that's where you get your lines is because they've got the rollers that will roll the grass that will lay it down after it's been cut. So, and, it. and it's funny because my daughter, you know, at first when she first started cutting grass just around our farm and everything, she'd just do the circle. And, and both my husband and I told her, okay, you got to do the lines because we both like the lines and it's something we've, so now if one of us cuts the grass and we get out of her line, we're in big trouble. So, <laughs> so she knows how to keep that firm line, that solid you line. Got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just exactly. always amazed me when you see that, you know, the kind of aerial shot of, of the baseball fields and they've got these designs and I'm like, I, and I always thought I had to do something with like the angle of the blade or something like that, but it's the rollers themselves. So it cuts and then it rolls it. Is that the idea? And kind of pushes yep. it one direction. Pushes it one direction. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Never thought I would start this podcast episode and be having a discussion about how Major League <laughs> Baseball cuts the grass. You never, well, it, you never know what's <laughs> going to happen in this industry. This is one of the reasons I love it so much. Well, and you know, it's funny that you were, I, I wasn't sure where you were going with it when you were talking about Major League Baseball, because um, just about an hour and a half from, uh, from us is a, a Lynn State Technical College, and they have a turf management uh, um, program that you could go through and it's a two-year program but um, we happened to Hallie was looking at possibly going there we went and visited and on their wall they have um, pictures of like or, or, well it's not necessarily just pictures but it's like uh, banners of different places where their uh, students have gone they've gone to the Boston Red Sox they've gone to the St. Louis Cardinals they've gone to Kansas City Royal I mean they've gone to some of these big wow. um, yeah some of these kids have gone there and I think that was pretty exciting for her to see that too. So it, that's very interesting because you know I would have always thought that the grounds crews you just some dude walks in off the street gets hired on the grounds crew and they <laughs> teach him how to do it. But right. behind all of that, there's the science behind all of that is someone that likely has a degree in turf management on how to maintain that those fields. Whether I mean whether it's football or or baseball right. or whatever, how to right. maintain that surface. That's exactly. pretty wild. That, yep. Yes. So this podcast is just completely taken a right-hand turn. <laughs> so let's kind of go back on or, the track. Normally when people talk to me, it does take a right-hand turn for some reason. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back on track then. Um, unfortunately, we're not going to get back on track with the best of topics. Looking back at early 2020, which is not something that any of us really like to do, but we are telling people's 2020 stories. You know, we got a virus coming on show on shore and, the Houston Livestock Show cancels back about March 11th. What are you thinking when a show that's that big cancels? Um, wow, what, what's, what's in store for us? And are we still gonna be able to you know, have the fair? Um, for, at that time, I was thinking, okay, fortunately we're in August. So we've got you know, a little bit of time here that maybe we're gonna be able to still get this fair in. And um, then you see that and you just start to see the trickle effect of, you know, some of the other larger fairs that start canceling and, 
and some of them then that are um, on top of you, real close to you, either right in front of you or right behind you. And you think this is probably not, you know, our fair is probably not going to happen. Um, and so, you know, at that time, it was still trying to keep the, you know, the optimism out there and the positive look that, hey, maybe we can still get this in. Um, but yeah, when you start seeing those big guys go, go down, it's kind of the sign that it's just not going to happen for, for you either. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think a lot of fairs who through the spring were holding out some hope that maybe this would be like a two to three month thing and we'd be able to, you know, to pull up and recover. But eventually you all get to, I think I saw the press release was early June sometime and you had to make yeah. the decision. Take us through that decision-making process. Uh, well, so we have, we're, we're so unique, you know, like I explained a little bit earlier about the chamber being um, basically, you know, the fair being the fundraiser for the chamber. So um, I don't just work with, I have two boards. I work with a 24 member fair board and a 16 member chamber board. Yeah, um, yeah it's, sometimes it's a little much, but <laughs> honestly, um, you know, I've just, it's been something I've dealt with for the last 20 years. And I, I have to tell you, you know, Washington is unique and we have great volunteerism. And so the people that get on these boards are, are great people and I really enjoy working with them. So, you know, I can't, um, I can't speak highly enough about, about them. Sometimes we do, you know, have our, our issues and moments, but for the most part, you know, everybody's on the same page and trying to reach that same goal. Um, but we, we don't own our fairgrounds. So our fairgrounds are in, uh, we, we, utilize the city park. So um, not only do we have, do I have two boards to work with, but I also have the city of Washington and the city council to work with as far as, um, you know, being able to use their facility. So, um, you know, we, we started meeting. Um, I spent lots and lots of time with, you know, a lot of our fair um, cohorts on IFE calls and just, you know, individual calls with, Mark Wolf at the Missouri State Fair, they're, they're basically right on right behind us. And, um, you know, just Aaron Owen at the Ozark Empire Fair, those are, we're probably the three biggest here in, in Missouri and, you know, talking to them a lot. And um, as we walked through it, you know, uh, I think our fair board really was wanting to, to try to get, to try to have the fair. Um, but in the end, you know, um, with us being on city property, it just wasn't going to happen. And so um, we all came to the conclusion that, you know, this was our fate was not to have the fair. Um, fortunately, we were lucky enough to be able to still do our livestock shows and have um, have our auction. We did our auction both in person and virtually. But um, yeah, so we, you know, we spent lots of time um, having a lot of meetings and, and talking through things. And can we make this work? Can we not make this work? And you know, for us, we weren't, we're not rural enough that we don't get, you know, that we wouldn't still get, you, you know, we get a lot of those people from St. Louis, like I was saying, St. Louis, Rolla, Columbia, those Jeff City, those areas, and, you know, those are heavy populated areas, and when you start talking about those people coming out, and um, honestly, we just all agreed that we didn't want to make national news by having an, <laughs> having an event, we just didn't think it was a, a smart thing for us to do here, um, in Washington. So, um, you know, so that decision was made. It was a tough decision. You know, we, I spent, we spent, um, a lot of time talking about it, uh, even with our zone, you know, we're in zone five for the IFE and we, we, we had a call and Amanda, my uh, marketing director, her and I did, um, 
kind of talked a little bit on one of those calls and just said, you know, it's, it's like, um, we feel like we're, you know, planning a funeral and then you have it and you, and then you have to say, okay, I have to move on. And, um, for us, that was kind of the way it was. And I've been a big, big promoter to my staff and the boards that, okay, Hey, this is, yeah, this stinks. You know, we have to make this decision, this decision, you know, that we can't have the fair, but Hey, it's going to give us an opportunity to look at what we've been doing for the last 90 years. And can we change something up? Is this, you know, so let's, let's make this a positive instead of a negative. Okay. We've, we've made the decision. We've had our time to, you know, so-called mourn and just get over it, but now we've got to move forward and we've got to push on. So, um, and, and we did. And, and um, I think that's been really good for all of us because we, we have taken a look at a lot of things and said, okay, we've been doing this for, you know, 20 years and it works, but can we make it better? Should we get rid of it and try something different? And so that's what we've been doing for the last several months um, is really just, uh, you know, evaluating everything that we have to offer and what we can do to make it better. I think that's a really smart move. I know from talking to so many people in the fair industry prior to COVID, you know, when I talked to people about entertainment and what they're doing at their grounds, I always heard a lot of, well, we've always done it that way. And I think I, I, there's things that work that you've always done. And then there's things that work that you've always done that what, like you say, can we tweak it? Can we make that better? And I think that applies to anything from the entertainment you book to the traffic patterns to what nights you have concerts to all that kind of thing. And the one thing consistently that I'm hearing is that COVID one of the silver linings is that it has forced a lot of fair managers and fair boards to say, we've always done it that way, but do we have to, yeah. can we I switch agree. it up? And I think, I think that's going to benefit most fairs in the long run. I think there's going to be some real good changes and, and positive things for the, for the future of the event. What um, I'm curious, what kind of financial impact does that have on your chamber when you, your fair, your primary fundraiser gets torpedoed? Huge, um, because not only do, you know, do we do the fair, but we also have um, other events that we that we do here just with the chamber, and um, we also utilize city property for some of those events. Um, and the city put into, you know, they put some restrictions on their properties, which then um, kind of tied our hands as to what we could do with, um, you know, with our events as well. So we weren't able to have several of our chamber events um, and not having the fair um, pretty much has, you know, it, it's been a huge financial um, loss to us. You know, we um, we're doing okay. And I think we're going to be okay as long as we have a fair this year. Um, right. And, and, you know, when we look at that, I think that, um, you know, and, and, and I hear this a lot when I'm just at the grocery store or somewhere, you know, are we going to have a fair? And I, my, my answer to them is, you know, that's our hope. We're planning for a fair and we're going to try to have a fair this year. Um, is it going to look like a normal fair? No, I think you're kidding yourself if it's going to look, if you think it's going to look like a normal fair, but you know, we're going to do the best that we can to, to, to see that we can have it. And, you know, last night uh, we worked so closely with the city <clears throat> on other stuff, just with the chamber, not necessarily, you know, only the fair, but everything else that we do. And um, I just had, had a meeting with the mayor and um, the city administrator last night. And we, we just, we talked about the fair and, you know, their, their hope is that we're going to have a fair. I mean, this community lives and breathes that fair. Um, 
it's we're an all volunteer fair. We don't have any outside food vendors that come into our fair. All of our local nonprofit organizations do food booths. They run our gates for us. They run our concessions for us. Um, and so by us not having the fair this year, it didn't just hurt the chamber. It hurt the entire community because we weren't able, those, those organizations depend on the fair as their fundraiser for, you it's know, their ripple. biggest. It's a ripple effect through your whole community. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, um, so I, you know, I really, um, I think everybody, you know, that's everybody's goal is to have a fair this year. And, and I think too, with us being a little bit later in August that, um, hopefully this vaccine will, you know, get, get going and, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll be able to do it. So. Yeah. My gut feeling when I've been talking to folks is, is somewhere around June or July, that needle may start to get pulled back in our favor may not be like you say it's not going to be the full Washington town and country fair that people are used to but I think Jeremy Parsons when I interviewed him from Clay County in Iowa said you know um, we lost 2020 but in 21 is going to be the the fair that bridges us so that we can stay viable and have an actual fair in 2022 my gut feeling still is we're looking at 18 to 36 months you know it could be late 22 or 20 even into 23 before we actually really start having normal no masks, no physical distancing. We're back to normal. It's still going to be a few years. Um, in the meantime, you've still got a fair to plan for for 21 while you're still kind of stuck on the unknown side of the pandemic. How do you go about doing right. that? Well, you know, um, I talked a little bit about us kind of evaluating things and, and um, my board, we sat down and went through every line item on our budget um, here. Uh, we, we spent hours and way more time than we normally would have um, just going through it. And, um, you know, we've cut things out. Um, we have, um, we're going to make a, our, we've made three offers, I guess, for our entertainment. We're going to make a fourth offer probably today, maybe Monday. Um, so, you know, we're, we're planning for it, but we're just being very, um, very cautious. Uh, some of the things that we would normally order like at this time of the year, like maybe our tablecloths and our ribbons and some of that stuff. Um, we're going to have it all ready to go, but we're not going to make that order until the last possible know, second until they tell us that, okay, you know, we can still get it before the fair because um, we don't want to be forking out any money that we don't have right now on something that we aren't sure if we're even going to get to have. You right. Know, this. So well, and is it possible, like with your ribbons, do you date them or can you do non-dated so that you can roll them over? Um, we don't date them so they can roll over, uh, yeah. which is, which was really good for us for our livestock shows this year that we did. Um, we still use the ribbons and we were able to use what we had, you know, left over. We didn't have to order anything. So um, it ended up working out just fine. And, you know, some of the, and, and some of the things that we did back in January and February last year. We already have that stuff and it's not dated. So some of those things we already have ready for, uh, for 21 anyway. So. So assuming you guys can actually open and have a fair, um, there certainly could be some concern for people in your community to come out to event. Although my gut feeling is being a Midwest fair, you probably have far more people that are just ready to get back at it and be social again. But for those that fairgoers that do have concerns, have you guys, consider how you're going to approach your messaging to get the message out that, Hey, we have COVID safe practices. We're, you know, if you're requiring masks, physical distancing, how do you reassure your community that you're going to have a safe event? 
You know, that's, that's actually where we're at right now. We've been um, um, even trying to work with our county. Um, our county was able to get some funding um, through the CARES Act and we've been, we've been working with them to purchase, uh, you know, hand, hand uh, sanitizing stations, all of those kinds of things. Um, also masks because, you know, I think for us, and I see that here, Washington right now is under a mask mandate. Our county isn't, but our actual city is, and we're the largest city in the, um, in the county. But, um, you know, I, that's something that we're, we're going to be, you know, we'll have available. I think, um, and I think, you know, when I talked about, is it gonna be a normal fair? No, do I think we're probably gonna still be wearing masks? Yes, I mean, I can say that today. That could be totally different in, you know, 60, 90, 120 days, but, yeah. Um, and so I think that, yes, those are things that we've been discussing. Okay, what are we going to put it? What, what are, what do we have to have to make this a safe fair so that we can still have it? I, I, I chuckle when I talk to people because they ask me, you know, are you just going to let have somebody right there just give them vaccines as people walk through, through the <laughs> gate? And, you know, I don't think so, but wouldn't that be a hold still just a second? Yeah, there you exactly. go. There's your vaccine. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> Which, which, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, we can laugh about, and we have to, you have to be lighthearted about some of this stuff because yes. if you don't, um, it's just going to eat at you and eat at you and, and, um, you can't let it. I mean, this is, and I think for us, you know, you asked earlier about up leading up to this point and, and even still to this day, you know, even some of my staff members will come in and they'll be like, okay, what about this? And I'll just say, guys, I don't know, you know, I, I can tell you what I can tell you today and what I think we should do on, based on the information I know today, but that information can change, you know, tomorrow or it could change yep. next week. And, and it so, has, it has the it CDC has. and world health and whatnot, their standards change regularly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and we just did, we just did, we have our, our chamber business breakfast meeting we, we have in January. And normally that that's, you know, for all of our members that come and we have a breakfast, we do a program, we, we hear from our chamber on what they did for the year, we hear from our fair board on how the fair went, we hear um, uh, from our economic development director, and, um, you know, all, all of a sudden, you know, back in November, it's like, are we going to be able to have that? No, probably not, so let's, let's not dwell on how, why we can't have it physically, let's see if we can do it a different way, and we were able to do it virtually, and I mean, we've been, people have just been super happy and excited that we were able to still have it. It gave us an opportunity to use some different members. We did, we had, um, um, you know, normally when we're doing this for breakfast, we're getting, we're getting, uh, you know, a big company that come in and do our breakfast for us. This gave us an opportunity to use some of our members. They did different breakfasts so our companies could go and get breakfast and take it back. And so, you know, so we've been trying to, um, to change things up and still keep doing it. But, and, and I think people, you know, uh, people know that. I mean, everybody knows that right now, things change and you just have to kind of roll with it and yep. be flexible. Yeah, and they change pretty quickly. You know, I know yeah. here in, in New Mexico, we've been, it feels like we've been given an almost impossible standard um, to be able to get out of this. Initially, or, you know, back earlier in 2020, our governor had, you know, several gating criteria, and we met those. And then it was like, oh, no, 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 you need to meet this great gating criteria. And each time we'd meet something, the goalposts would get moved. And now she's got us in this red, yellow, green setup by county by county, where in order for us to even get to yellow, we can't put kids back into school until we've been green for two weeks. 
in order just to get yellow, we Bernalillo County, which is where Albuquerque is, has to be down to 54 average cases per day. We have to average 54 cases per day or fewer, which most analysts are looking at saying it could be another 18 to 26 weeks before we even get there. That's, I mean, it's, it's insane. It feels like every time we get someplace, we get pushed back a little bit more. What are you guys seeing there in Missouri? What kind of, um, what level of restrictions are you guys currently under? Well, um, honestly, like as far as a state, really not a whole lot of restrictions other than social distancing and wearing masks. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of, like you said, county by county and our city is, is doing it. So we have a hospital, we have the hospital in our county in Washington, that's in, you know, the biggest one that's basically in our county. And so um, we, they've done a metric system, basically like what you just talked about, a red, green, yellow, red, yellow, green. Um, and um, our city council put into effect, I want to say this was back in beginning of December, maybe, maybe even the end of November, where we have to be two out of the three metrics that they're looking at have to be in um, either the green or the yellow for four consecutive weeks before we'll get out of a mask mandate. We hit three consecutive weeks and then the bottom fell out again. Um, right. And, you know, we've um, actually, I, I get a report every Monday because that's when they take a look at it. And um, since that, those three weeks and then that one, it's just, we've been in the same metric, we've been in red metrics since then. So, and I, although, you know, now they're, we, we've been kind of seeing it going down a little bit uh, now, like this, this last week. And so they're telling us that that's probably because, you know, everybody got together at the holidays. So you're going to see a peak and now you're kind of getting through that. Right. Um, there. Our kids, uh, our, our elementary kids are in school um, five days a week, but our middle school and high school kids are on a hybrid schedule. So um they switch off every other day. So yeah, the way they were going to do it here is once we get to green for two weeks, then I think if my wife's an assistant principal, I think she explained it to me that like kinder and first grade would go back. And if it, we maintain it for green for two weeks, then second and third can go. I'm like, you're literally talking about like February of next year before we could get everybody back in at that yeah. standard. I just don't mm -hmm. understand how it's possible. And yet we look at states like Florida and they're open and having a party. I mean, they've got Manatee County Fairs open right now. I think they're, um, I think they wrapped this weekend. South Florida has their mini fair going on. Yeah. Um, and they just had their RV super show. So they're starting to have some events. It's kind of nice right. to look at my Facebook feed and start to see some of my friends who are performers and, and, you know, entertainers out there doing their thing. Are right. you guys paying, paying attention to what's going on in Florida to see kind of what their mitigation strategies are and how you might approach it for your fair? Yeah, you know, um, uh, Vicki Chorus at, uh, down there at West Palm Beach, definitely been, um, you know, we talk with Vicki Becky quite a bit, and she, um, what, what they've done, you know, listening to kind of how they're doing it. Um, I think, I, I, I'm a, I, I don't think it's just me. I think everybody's watching them what's going on, because they're going to see how it went, how things go, you know, um, and going to, going to, you know, piggyback on what they did if it works. And so I think, you know, that's, that's how, that's how the spare industry works. You know, if somebody does something, they do it, they do it good. They're going to share it and somebody else is going to, you know, going to do it as well. So we, right. we work, work together to make, um, to make, to make it all go. So 
yeah, we definitely, um, we definitely are keeping a close eye on what, what they're doing down there. Yeah. It just feels like these cancellations and, and the government restrictions are just so crushing to our communities. I mean, especially when you look at it long-term, it was one thing when it was 15 days to flatten the curve. Well, we're now like 11 months into 15 days to flatten the curve. That's right. And, and people need to be, as humans, we want to get out. We want to socialize. We're very, we're social creatures. I mean, literally from our, for our mental health, we need to be able to congregate and be around other people. And it's been a no for a year. I mean, is your, I know New Mexico is starting to suffer from it, but are you guys suffering quarantine fatigue? Are you guys just over it at this point? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, everybody around, I would say the majority of the people in this area are over it. Um, but especially like the, the crazy part in Washington and because our County doesn't have any restrictions is like our, some of our halls, like the KC hall and the Elks hall, they've been still doing things and um, you know, weddings and um, I don't want to say like parties cause they haven't been doing like big parties, but you know, those Social kinds of things. events. Yeah, exactly. Social events. And um, so you, you know, uh, I see it in kit in our kids a lot, you know, however, now having, I, I saw it more earlier now that our kids are back in school and going, you know, um, like I told my daughter's a senior and I don't think she right now, she's, she's trained now that she goes every other day. So one week she's going to go three days and the next week she's going to go two days. And she's just, I don't really think that it would matter to her, even being a senior, if she got to go back to school five days a week, I just, they're just, yeah. you know, they, they're, they're in that mode and just, you know, continue it out and let's, well, it's probably easier for a 17 or 18 year old to adjust to this than I know our son, he's 10, he's in fourth grade and the, you know, the last, the end of third grade and, and now all of fourth grade has just been the pits. He hates the online learning. He wants oh, to get I'm out on the playground and play with his friends and be social yeah. and connect. Um, now for your, you said it's your daughter that's the senior. Is she yes. going to get to, is she going to get to walk? Are they going to have commencement? You know, um, they have it scheduled for the end of May. Uh, and as of right now, you know, yes, but I, you know, I, um, I work closely with our superintendent here at, at our, at our public schools. And, um, I talked to her, I guess, uh, it's been a couple of weeks now, but she said that, you know, they, they've only done the hybrid schedule out until the middle of February and they're going to relook at it at that time. And then, right. you know, they're, um, they're hoping that this semester yet, these kids are going to get back to our middle school and high school kids are going to get back to school um, five days a week. But um, I, I, a lot of it, I will tell you, is it's going to depend on the hospital. Um, with us having a hospital right here, and that's even the city, and my conversations with them about, you know, are we going to be able to have a fair? What are your thoughts? And it's really, you know, they're kind of taking the lead. They're kind of taking their lead from the, from the hospital. And so, yeah. Um, I, and, and I think most, you know, the schools are as well. And I, um, so, um, you know, for a small town, how many, how many seniors are in that class? Um, I think Hallie's class is a little over 300, 350. Oh, that's pretty good size. Ours mm -hmm. was like 420 or 430, something like that when I graduated. Um, but I would even yeah, say at that, at that number, they should be able to do a commencement. There's gotta be a football field that's big enough that they okay. can spread the Air Force Academy could do it, could pull it off out on their quad. Like, right, there's right. got to be. It's not like you have 900 people that you're cramming. Right. 
Right. And, um, you know, our seniors last year, they did it. Um, we, well, they've been doing it on the football field if the weather's good. And then obviously if it's not, then they move it into the gym, but, um, they finally did uh, our seniors last year in June and they did it out on the football field and, you know, only let two, the parents come or whatever it was. So I right. think they each had tickets or whatever that they could do, but, uh, but yeah, so they, um, they were able to do it, but I, hopefully we'll get to have it and get to see her walk yeah. across the stage. Well, and that's a, such a big thing. I know not only for, I remember when I graduated, but I know it's a big thing for parents too. And, um, but at the same thing, same time, I feel like, you know, some perspective, these, these kids aren't graduating and getting sent off to Vietnam, you know, they're not right. going out to world war two and, you know, so, um, I'm, I'm empathetic because I know that, that it's heartbreaking for so many of them. One of, Sarah's students that she, when she was in second, I think it was second grade, um, just graduated last year and, you know, got kind of got mailed her diploma and thanks for coming. Didn't, right. get that, didn't get pomp and circumstance, didn't hear the music, didn't get to walk across the stage, but, you know, onward, if that's, you know, if hopefully that, that builds resiliency for, for our young people to get kind of kicked in the teeth and go, well, that sucked, but I'm still here. Let's go make something of this life. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm talking about that. We, I, I also am a varsity volleyball coach at the high school and um, Hallett played, my daughter played, and this would be when her senior year, you know, start of school, they couldn't have, um, we could, none of the kids could, like each girl that played could have four tickets for people to come in and watch. So they had like, none of the school cheering, you know, the, the boys or the girls, you know, could come and watch their friends play. And so the gym was quiet. It was really quiet um, for these. Yeah. I remember high school volleyball. We, we could put, I think it was like 2,500 people in our gym, 2000 in our gym. And we would probably fill, I bet we'd fill 1200. Easy. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of people. I mean, and to be down to, you think a volleyball team, if you're getting, you know, just a handful of tickets, you're talking about maybe 30 people, 50 people in the gym. That's awful. It feels like practice. That's what it does. It, it does, you know, and it's just, it's, they get, it, you, the most of the time it was parents that came and the kids were sick and tired of hearing their parents, you know, cheering and yelling and screaming. They wanted, they wanted that fun interaction with those, with their peers, you know, of at course. school but we did it. We went through it, had a good season and, you know, moving, moved on. Build some resiliency, I guess. Right. So yeah. let's change subject. Cause there's just too much dark cloud and uh, around <laughs> COVID. I, you know, I've just, I, I, it's been interesting cause I really enjoy talking to people about it on the show and getting their perspective on what they went through at the same time. I'm like, these are all dark stories because these are all really rough times. So let's talk about some good stuff here. Bright okay. spots in our industry for starters. I'm looking at IFE's Facebook page and I see that you have been named the second vice chair of the IFE board. That's a big announcement. Um, <sighs> can you explain for those people that don't quite understand what your role is, what, what the second vice chair does for IFE? Um, well, honestly, are, you, are you still I'm trying still to figure learning. it out? <laughs> um, well, it's, it's funny because, um, I've been getting more emails from, from, um, from the IFE office, but uh, Marla sent me a, a, an email a few weeks ago and she said, okay, here's all the stuff for your binder. And I printed it all out and put it in my binder and I'm about halfway through it. And I'm like, 
okay, there's a lot of information that I need to, um, I need to know. Fortunately for me, uh, I was on the board um, in two, from 2008 to 2010 because I was zone five director. So oh, got it. I at least have, um, at least have a little idea about how the board runs, how the board meetings are and everything. But um, move, you know, being now on the second vice chair on the executive committee, uh, there's a lot more, uh, a lot more to it, but um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm just, um, Jessica Underberg, she, she was the one that called me and said, okay, the nominating committee has nominated you. And I, I was, I was just like, holy cow, wow, that's a big honor. And um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I know my, my staff is super excited about it. And my boards are, you know, great. And, um, you know, I, Marla made a comment um, just in a press release that we did the other day that um, they haven't had somebody from a smaller fair um, in, through the chairs for a while. So um, I think that'll be interesting for me as well to bring the perspective of the smaller fairs, but also to um, to see what you know what the big fairs are doing behind the scenes too. So yeah. So a second vice chair, and I think I saw um, is it Gene Cassidy? He's, he's currently chair for this year correct yep. and then jeremy so jeremy parsons will be up next year do is yep that's I'm right i'm glad i'm doing my research so i'm not sounding like a fool here but <laughs> so ahead. that lays you out for uh 2023 will be your year that you're the correct. chair for iafe that correct. could be a really big year for you because i think it may be bigger than you realize that might be that first full year that everybody runs, everybody's open and we're starting to rock and roll again. Yeah. What do you think about I, that? Um, I say, okay, let's do it. You know, <laughs> let's, let's, let's make it 2021 too. Let's just rock and roll. You got it. Life. You got it. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, 2023 is going to, be, I, especially, I can tell you, especially, um, not just because I'm also going to, because I'm going to be chair, but, 2023 is a big year here because we were supposed to host the IFE management conference this year in 2020 um, in St. Louis. And obviously we weren't able to do it. So we are going to be hosting the 2023 IFE management conference here in St. Louis. So um, that will happen the same year. Uh, so it'll, it'll be a big year. And hopefully, um, like you said, I think you're, I think you're right. You know, we get um, 21 is going to be kind of that year where, um, we're just having a fair, we're going to hang on and we're going to get through it and, you know, do the best that we can with the restrictions and the and COVID and, uh, 2022, you know, we're taking those baby steps and 2023, yep. uh, you know, we're going to be rocking and rolling. And, uh, I agree, you know, um, we're two, you know, we're moving locations now, once we get, we'll be, um, in, in, uh, San Antonio yet this year. And then, then they start the transition of moving every year. Um, and so they're going to move every year after that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we, and we don't have an announcement for, for the next location. I mean, do, let me ask you this. You may or may not know, do we know what the location is and it's just being kept secret at this point? Yes, that's yeah. correct. Um, they are going to make an announcement um, shortly, yeah. but I don't know the exact time on that, but um, I do know that will be coming out here uh, soon on where we will be going um, I guess that would be in, in uh, 2022. So and they're going to move annually. That's the plan that Ooh. that's, that's what I know so far. So yeah, I yes. really like San Antonio. <laughs> I like San Antonio too. So I really uh, although like I, 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 
I can't tell you, but I do know the list of the locations we're going. And I think, I think it'll be good. I think that it'll um, give some opportunities to people um, to see different places. So, you know, I, I was glad to be out of Vegas. Um, I'll be honest with you, when I was on the board, um, you know, back in 2008, that was one of the things that I, I you know, I've been going to Vegas already for 10, 10 years or whatever. And gosh, can we go somewhere else? And at that time when, you know, we, we kind of looked at it and there just wasn't, wasn't anywhere that was competitive enough with the pricing um, to, to look at. And, right. you know, um, and then Vegas started to jack their prices up. And I know IFB did a lot of work, um, you know, trying to keep them down and work with them, but it just at some point was, yeah, I understand Jim Tucker was kind of a baller when it came to dealing with those people in Vegas. He's not a dude that I would want to be sitting across from the negotiating table with. <laughs> Me either. Me either. I like Jim on my side. <laughs> yes, I understand that he he kind of threw down with them. At least that's what the rumor mill was. And so I was very glad he was on our team and not on their team. That's I right. uh, Yeah, you know, we talk, entertainers were like, so where do you think it's going to be? And, you know, we've we've there's rumblings of Louisville and Indianapolis and Denver. And I'm like, well, okay, you're going to start going down the list. There's 50 cities you could probably end up in. So who knows? I just, I just hope if it's a Northern city that the weather cooperates at that point, because you, at that time of year, that could be real risky going to a Northern city, but yeah, it is yeah. what it is. We got to try something. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. I think, I think, um, I think people will be pleased with, I was, I will tell you that when I found out the locations, there were a couple I was like, oh, I didn't think about that. So, um, so I think it'll be, I think there's, I think, it, like I said, I think there'll be some opportunities that'll, that'll arise for people. I'll tell you what, I'm down with the idea of moving regularly. And here's why we were on the trade show floor in Vegas after 40 years of the floor, basically looking, of course I was only around from 2009 on, but the floor basically looked the same. Yep. Everybody was in the same spot every year. And so what happened is on y'all's end, you knew where people were. So you'd walk in, you'd go hit the people you need to hit and you'd walk out. And even if you walked by the floor, literally in that ballroom in, in Paris, the, the carpet's so busy. We're a, we're a loud trade show, right? It's not this, oh, yeah. you know, professional corporate refined trade show. I mean, we've got people dressed up as trees and robots and jugglers and we've got all, it's a cluster. It really is. And so I think what I observed for several years is that from the fair management side, you all would get kind of information overload and you would kind of walk by with blinders on. As soon as we went to San Antonio, people were like, all the performers were like, oh man, San Antonio, that sucks, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh no, I don't care where it is. Just change the floor plan of the, of the trade show. First year in, Linnell Smith from Sydney Royal Easter walks by and she goes, looks at Condor fortune machine and goes, this is really cool. I really, you know, starts talking to me about, we had it booked. Of course, COVID stopped that. But um, she said to me something to the effect of now, when did you start bringing this into the industry? And I said, 2012, <laughs> 2011, something like that. And she was like, get out of here. I've been walking this trade show for years and I've never seen it. And I think it, I think she did, but it was blinders because there's so much. So if you're going to change every year, to some level, Steve Seaver is going to have to kind of juggle that the trade show floor and what it looks like, which means you guys are looking at things with a fresh set of eyes every year. So I yep. approve. This service member approves of keeping things fresh. <laughs> that you is know, that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. You know, I'm, I'm, I, 
I'm glad you told me that because that's not how I would have on your end, you know, that's not something right. I would have thought, but, but you're right. I mean, and, and I'll be the first to, to tell you, that's exactly what I would do. I didn't have, I wouldn't say that would be, you know, what my board would do. Cause I think they would take more time to go through it. But as a fair manager, I'm so busy otherwise at convention that if I needed to go in to do something or my board said, Hey, we'll go check this out. It was like, I'm on a mission. I'm going in, I'm going to do this. And then I'm at, back out the door because I've got this meeting or I've got to meet with this person or whatever it is. And so, um, so I think you're right. It, it, it does. I think it gives by what, by, by also going somewhere different. It just, it does. It just gives you just a whole different new perspective on things. It gives right. you a fresh eyes to look at, you know, things that you might not have seen before because it's the same old, same old. It's the same kind of concept that, you know, we've been talking about with what COVID has done for our affairs is allowing us to, to, to look at some of those things and take a bigger, um, you know, more in-depth look at them to say, is this, is this good? Is this bad? Should we change it? Should we not change it? And so, sure. The only potential downfall I see on that from the exhibitor side is every when we first went to San Antonio, it was every time you when you're a first timer, you have to figure out the dock process, how to get on the dock, how to get your stuff okay. loaded in, because it's different everywhere. Some like in Vegas, the unions were super, super strict. San Antonio, the unions were like, yeah, as long as you can be in and out in about 25 minutes, you're good. Park and go for it. You know what I mean? They were much, you know, look out for the forklifts. Sure. But so I could see where. You know, the second time we did Vegas in, in 2019, it was much easier because it was like, we know the routines, we know what where we're parking, we know all that. So I don't know, maybe if, if it was the ultimate design for us, which of course it has to be designed for everyone, I would just, I'd be like, change it every two years. Give us that second year where everything's relaxed, but I'm down with the move. If we're moving and keeping things fresh, that's better for everybody in our business because it forces you guys to keep your eyes open a little bit more and all of a sudden things pop out. They just you get like a visual bias, like, and I think it, it's literally like having blinders on, especially in Vegas, because it was so bright. It was so overwhelming. Right. And, and now we go, you know, I, the thing that I love most about San Antonio was the fact that being a genuine convention center, the carpets were all gray. So it took that noise off of the, you know, you weren't seeing, yeah. you weren't perceiving that you were looking right. at us instead of getting overwhelmed by everything. Right, right. Yeah, maybe I've, maybe I've got a career in marketing and design. There you go. There you go. Yeah, you you know you do talk about that because my first I'll I'll never forget my first year uh, going to going to Vegas, going to convention, and I was just like, holy cow, this is like it's a lot, <laughs> too much. Yeah, you know, and so um, I, yeah, it, it, now it's it's kind of old hat to me, but um, but yeah, you I can I can see that you know as a first timer. Or, even not necessarily as a first timer, but just those first couple of years, it can be very overwhelming, especially if you're like for me, I was young. My organization had only been a part of the IEFE for five years prior to, uh, to me coming in. And so we were still pretty new in the, you know, in the, in the IEFE, not in the industry, but in just being a part of that association. And so, right. um, but we've, We've definitely um, we've grown, and IFE has been a huge part of it. Yeah, same. I, I'll tell you what. There was um, a convention that I got invited to to perform at as a guest performer in. I think it was nine. It would have been nineteen. It was called Connect Meetings, and it was there in Louisville. And they just got bought by Bizbash, so they do corporate. They're corporate meeting planners, corporate events, and um, 
so they have a trade show that looks super similar to ours, except the majority of, of exhibitors are like, you know, the city of San Antonio, the city of St. Louis, they're all, you know, all their convention and visitors bureau that are trying to draw these, you know, to draw Best Buy or Apple or whoever to have their convention right. there. <clears throat> but they did one thing for the exhibitors is they did what's called a, it, it's like a speed dating thing, it, but it was a, um, there's like a hosted buyer session where as an exhibitor, I was given a schedule of like over a two hour period of like 15 meetings or 20 meetings that I would go and I would send, there was these, you know, rooms that had 30 little like tables set, a four foot table set up in it. And all of you would be sitting in there and I would go from this, you know, I'd go speak to the event planner for Pepsi or the event planner for JP Morgan Chase. And you get like four minutes and then like a two minute passing period. And I loved it. Cause I'm like, wow, this is the decision maker. I can go say, Hey, this is what I do with Conjure fortune machine. This is how it could be fun and unique for your event. They go, Oh man, that's really cool. We had several leads. And then of course, COVID <laughs> decided to just oh, wreck everything. But <laughs> I looked at that and I messaged, <clears throat> I was at, I think I had gone through one 30 minute session of that. And I was on a break and I, I texted Steve Seaver and I said, if you don't find a way to do this at IFE, you are crazy because it is so effective. The only rub I could see with IFE is when it comes to corporate events, that person sitting there is the event planner. When it comes to fairs, it could be the fair managers, the decision maker, it could be the board, it could be the entertainment director, you got all these different, you know, yep, moving yep. parts. And it might be somebody's a different moving part for, you know, ticket sales or ribbon sales than someone who does a fortune machine or is an entertainer. So I think if there's some way we can figure out to do that, man, that would be worth it. Because to know that I've got four minutes of your undivided attention or that fair manager's undivided attention and I can make my pitch and then I'm off to was amazing. So how long did that, did that last? Did you do it for like 30 minutes or an hour or? So each person would have a different schedule. If I recall, I bet I could dig through my notes and find it and email you the specifics, but I want to say that because it was a two day convention and I want to say there was a two hour block each day and you would, so basically for, I think I would get one of those hours and then the way they rotated it. Um, but you would go off and on where you would go. It would start. You'd be at your first meeting. You'd have like four minutes. You'd have two minutes to change over to the next person. And literally your next meeting could be three tables over, or it could be one ballroom down, which depending on your convention center, that might be a hike or it might not be a big deal at all. Um, sure. But I want to say it was like two hours each day and the the cool thing was because they did still have the trade show as i'm showing people i designed my business card specifically to sell conjure every piece of the business card i can actually pitch the whole thing off the card and so i'd hand it to them and they i explained it to them and they go this is so cool you don't happen to have it up in the trade show do you actually yes i do i'm in booth number you know 205 and then when they got done with their meetings they'd come find me in the trade show and they'd be like, this thing is so cool. This is this, this is, the, oh, you know, at this, all our events for 20, you're booked already, but let's look for 21 or whatever the deal is. So I could see where in the fair industry it would be advantageous for an entertainer to be able to go hit even 15 or 20 meetings, especially if they were to be organized regionally, because if it's regional, I can get a better price for most people because then I'm sticking to a route. I'm not having right. to go like the year I went from, Costa Mesa for the OC fair. And I had two and a half days to jump all the way to Springfield for the Illinois state fair. Oh, <laughs> that, wow. That was, that's a, that's a haul. <laughs> that was rough, but I took it because 
I was finishing at the Maryland State Fair, so it put me five days in the middle. It was a it was a hell of a jump, but I did it. Um, wow. But yeah, so I mean, we could set it up regionally. I just don't. I think in talking with Steve and, and he and I both agree that there are so many different decision makers of who how that decision gets made. And maybe if you just knew you were getting in front of the somebody that was going to get you to the decision maker, even if it's a board member that you were going to say, hey, this is what I do. And they go, OK, fantastic. We'll go talk about it with the board. You've got a better shot than just playing the, the, the Powerball, as I call it, of the trade show of hoping that the numbers come up for you. You know, that's an interesting concept. You, you, what you're saying, it's got my brain kind of working here and thinking about, you know, is that, could you, could we do something like that every day for an hour and you sign up for it and right. maybe it's, I, I don't know, but yeah, that's, and, that's. And one of the things, one of the, one, I'm sorry, one of the ways that they make sure that the, the buyer is there is Connect pays their registration fee. And so they say, we're going to pay your registration to be here. And some, depending on who it is, you know, if they want to attract somebody from Pepsi, you know, they might say, we're going to cover your hotel also that, you know, it's because it's a hosted buyer kind of deal. And, um, but they get told, you know, of the, I don't know, 90 meetings you're going to have over two or three days, you can only miss three of them. And if wow. you don't, then you're not going to get credit on this stuff. So it forces them to be there. So that right. we, you know, as the attendee, because the attendee theoretically, now I was paid to come in as a performer for that one, but the attendees that were there are paying big time money to get in front of that person. And so I could see where IFE might do something where, you know, the trade show, maybe if you, if, if you, um, if you have your trade show booth, you know, maybe it's an extra $500 or that there's a small extra fee. Cause I can tell you this, I would, if I knew that I was going to get in front of like the 10 fair managers I needed to see for that IFE and I was going to get four minutes undivided, I'd pay an extra 500 or thousand dollars to do that and wow. know that that's where I was going to be. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? You know, then there's real value to it. Right. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this, this, it, it's kind of reminds me of what we've done with our young professionals and how we um, got them in front of our mentors is what we call them, which are the, the ones that, you know, the more seasoned um, of the fair managers. And, you know, we do kind when of you what say we call seasoned, them. do you mean old? No, nope. <laughs> that... I will not yes. say that. Yeah, yeah, I see you smiling. I am no, long, I am I no longer in the young professionals. So, Neither um, am I. I got booted a year ago. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yes, yeah, seasoned is what I would I would prefer to call it. Um, and, and now I know whenever, you know, I was, I was in the young professionals and they would say that word, I would say, Oh, what, you know, I'd laugh about it. And now here I am saying it, but, uh, um, we're anyway, yeah, old, we're both old. <laughs> okay. I'll give you that. Um, no, anyway, so, so it's just been kind of that, that piece has been really interesting because they've done kind of the, you know, the speed dating, um, for lack of better words that, it gives them, you know, a time to sit with, uh, with them and get, you know, kind of figure out what, what the older generation, you know, the more seasoned group does and who they are and yeah. give us an opportunity to see who the young professionals are that are coming up because, you know, whether you like it or not, I, I'm not going to be around, you know, for, for a hundred years yet, you know, or yep. 50 years. So this, these are our, our leaders that are coming up into the organization. And so 
we need to make sure that they know what, you know, what's going on and some of the history and why things have been the way they are. Not that they can't be changed, but, you know, sometimes you got to have that history to even know if you can. foundation. You don't know how to move forward if you don't know where you came from. Right. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, so, so what you're talking about kind of reminds me a little bit about what we, what we've done with the young professionals there. And, and um, I, I do agree, you know, and I'll be, I'll, I will tell you that if, if it was, if, the, if we did something like this and I had to, and, and I could say, okay, I'm going to sit here for an hour. I'm going to see, you know, six or eight or 10 entertainers and I don't have to walk around and, and, you know, do that. I can block that out. I would do it. You know, me as right. a, uh, a fair manager, I could, I could see that. I could see it being very beneficial for a lot of people, not just you guys, but also yep. for the, um, you know, for the fairs as well. So, yeah. I think the other yeah. thing, and I don't know how we could go about doing this. When I was in college, our campus activities board, when they went to NACA, which is the same, you know, it's the IFE of, of college events, um, they would do what's called cooperative buying. And so let's say, you know, I went to Eastern New Mexico University over in Portales, which is about an hour and a half from Lubbock, Texas, and an hour and a half from Amarillo, Texas. And so let's say there was a, a hypnotist that was charging $2,000 for a show. Well, if none of us, none of the groups wanted to pay 2000 each for one show. And so we, you get with the other universities and say, hey, hypnotist, um, we're going to give you three shows in five nights. We're going to split your transportation costs between the three of us. And then you only pay seventeen fifty a show or seventeen hundred a show. Well, you do that over the course of the year, and all of a sudden, you've got an extra eight or ten thousand dollars in your budget to work with. And it would be the same thing with fairs. If you were to bring in, you know, ten acts to a fair, and you were to do cooperative buying with other fairs ahead of you and behind you to create a little route, the savings might be, you know, six, eight, ten, fifteen thousand dollars for a fair that could either go towards improvements at the fair or go towards marketing or go towards adding more entertainment or, or whatnot. Um, I hear fairs talk about, Oh yeah, we'll work with them. But then for some reason I was talking with, it might've been Alexia Jordan, who I was, I was talking with yesterday said something to the effect of, you know, well, we get so competitive, you know, it was either Alexia or it was, or maybe Caitlin over in Sonoma County. We get so competitive. You know, we're like siblings. We, we want to have the unique thing. We don't care that they're three hours down the road and our markets don't, you know, interact. Do you guys ever, would you work with other fairs and say, oh, hey, you know, you finish the Saturday or Sunday before us. If we both, you know, and then go to the act and say, we can't afford 1500 a day, but could you do 1250 if we both book you? Yeah. You know, we do that. Um, we do that with a lot of our main stage entertainment because um, the uh, Mississippi Valley Fair in Davenport, Iowa is right. Um, actually, it's right on top of us. And so that's with that, you know, with our radius clause that we have in our um, contracts, that works out perfect. So if they have somebody on one night, we might try to get them on, um, you know, on the next night or vice versa, right. or whatever. Um Missouri State Fair, they're um, not quite out of our radius clause, but we have done that sometimes too, where they've been, um, where we've had them, and then they've, they've gone there and vice versa. Um, so yeah, we do do that. We try to book off of, and we're at a time when a lot of state fairs are happening. Um, Indiana State Fair, Illinois State Fair, Missouri State Fair, Iowa State Fair. Um, I think just around us at that time there's those big guys are all going on at the 
you know, either right before us, right after us, or right on top of us. It's just the way our dates fall, we're always the first Wednesday through Sunday in August. So sometimes right. you know, we could be, we could be the first, the fifth, or we could be the seventh through the 11th. And when we're usually those later dates where um, we might fall over top of the, you know, the state fairs, but. Uh, so you can, you can siphon some of your entertainment off of them and get a better deal on it then. Yep. And we have, um, no, and, and this is, you know, we had, we had an act booked last year for, um, for the main stage and they were playing in Sykeston, Missouri, actually at, um, a rodeo area, a rodeo on, on, um, let's see, Friday night, they were playing us on Saturday night and then they were going to the Lake of the Ozarks on Sunday night. And so by doing that, the act would have normally cost us, you know, 50,000 more than what it cost, you know, what it cost us to, uh, to get. And so, um, yeah, you know, and we book all of our own entertainment. We don't utilize a booking agent. We just go directly to, um, we do it for all of our entertainment. It doesn't matter if it's main stage entertainment or. Um, so if the act know. is represented by an agent, you'll deal with them, but you don't farm it out to one agent specifically. That's correct. Got yes. it. So we book it all on our own. We've been doing that for um, probably 19 years, 19 or so years now. And um, so we've got that, we've got some good relationships and we, they know that, Hey, we're, we're not, we're not afraid to book somebody off of somebody else because our budget is all, you know, especially some of those big guys that are around us. Like I said, those state fairs, you know, they've got a little more money than we do. And so if we can book off of them and, save us some bucks heck yeah we're gonna do it all so. day long all yeah day long. Exactly. so speaking of you know planning and trade shows and whatnot when you're wandering through the trade show what catches your eye with entertainment and i might be asking specifically for grounds entertainment because i might be a little selfish on this question uh, um, <laughs> um, you know i i will tell you that oh probably um over the last couple of years um i have looked at more of that stuff than i did before um what catches my eye, you know, being friendly. I, I, so we work, we have a booth. We, we, not only does the chamber do the fair, but we also run the tourism, um, for the city of Washington. And so our tourism department, she always does this big show in St. Louis. And so we always work it. And like, one of the things I always tell the staff is if you're just standing there, you know, nobody's going to come up and talk to you. I, you have to be, like when people walk through, you have to make that eye contact with them. You have to say, hi, I don't care. You know, I don't want somebody to be like overbearing, but I want them to be friendly enough where people will, will approach them. And I think yeah. for me, that's what, um, I guess that's what I like to do for others. So that's what I like people to do for me kind of thing. Right. Um, and so, you know, I also look at what you have in your you know what you have in your booth that looks like you've taken some time and actually made it look like a booth fighting and a booth instead of just have you know one sign up um most of those people and, and you know what though and that's probably not that's probably bad because that per that what that sign might be something that's a perfect fit for you know for your fair but because i got no interaction or nobody you right. know there a lot there and eh, i'm probably gonna pass you up so um, yeah. So I think, I think just being friendly, smiling and, and, uh, that, that's what will draw me in to, to come and talk to you. Got it. So you talk about making eye contact. 
but I don't know if you've ever looked at any of your people, not your fair, but it's on the, on the fair side, walking up and down the aisles. There's sometimes y'all are looking straight down or you're looking straight up. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. you know, because it, it maybe here's the question for you on the third day of IFE. If you go into that trade show, is your badge facing forward or is it facing backwards? Um, no, my badge is always facing forward. I, That's I a professional. Think, I just don't, I, I mean, I, I get it and I understand. And sometimes, you know, we do. And, and I, it's funny that you say that because I, there have been times where I'm like, okay, just look forward, just look forward because you just need to, <laughs> and, and it may not. And, and honestly, Rob, it may not be because I don't want to talk to somebody. It may just be because I only have 10 minutes and I've right. got And you get, have to go talk to the person at the ATM machine with that. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. I get it. I get and it. So but not all the entertainers do. Boy, do they complain. And I'm like, just how about this? How about you make some contact with these people ahead of time so that they want to come spend five or 10 minutes with you? Right. Well, and I think too, you know, um, in what, what is it? In 19, we made a, well, even since we've been to San Antonio, they've made some adjustments with the trade show. And like, you know, we didn't overlap it with zone meetings with, you know, we didn't overlap it with some of the things. So we actually carved out some time that there was nothing else going on yep. that people could come in and, and walk around. And, and honestly, for me, that's probably why the last couple of years I've been able to walk through a little bit more is because there's actually been nothing else. I shouldn't say nothing else, but you know, there, there wasn't something that overlapped with what, you know, with the trade show. So I was able to get in there and actually, you know, visit with some people and, um, yeah, I think for the trade show, I'll be honest, as, as an entertainer, as an exhibitor, we are our own worst enemy. When For all the stuff that entertainers are like, man, they don't come by, they don't say this, and I'm like, well, what are you doing? Don't worry about their behavior. You need to figure out how to get in front of them. And that's why years ago, that's when I started going to Ed Sessions, and you know, I, if I had something to contribute on an idea on marketing or whatnot, completely on entertainment related. I'd raise my hand, I'd share the idea. And then all of a sudden I had people start coming up afterwards going, Hey, you know, that's a great point. What do you do? And then, oh, okay. Opening, <laughs> you know, and that's just you how made, you start meeting people. Like, yep. You made that personal contact, that personal relationship. And I think, you know, sometimes it's interesting to hear you say that because sometimes people just, they don't. And I get that just with chamber members too. It's like they be, become a member. They don't want to take care of, they don't want to do they don't want to take advantage of any of our services, but then they want to say, well, you didn't do anything for me. Well, yeah. uh, I, I, we've got how many other members? And so we've got all these members plus, you know, everything else that we do. I can't just pull out you and say, okay, I'm going to focus on, on you. You've got to, you've got to take that, make that effort to want to be a part of it and build some of those, you know, relationships and that contact. And then it's, you know, once you do that, like you said, it's like that opening, like, oh, okay. I, I started going to some of these sessions. I started listening to what others were saying. If I can contribute, I contribute. And now people are talking to you and, you right. know, here you are. I mean, look at you, look at what you're doing right now with the podcast. I mean, yep. who else is doing something like that? So, well, Alan Bruce has the tailgate entertainer. He does it. I don't think he's doing it as intensely as I am. Um, and I think most of his that were, um, late 2019, early 2020 recordings, but he's uh, Alan Bruce out in the, he's in California. He's fantastic. He's, he's kind of a Jack of all trades show builder creator. Um, but yeah, this has been, the podcast has been fantastic because 
there's no selling. I'm not here to pitch you on Conjure because that one, that's not what this is about. But two, you don't even know if you're having a fair this year. This is, this is, it's been tricky on our end to be like, when, like at some point we've got to start sending some promo out again and sending some emails and making some phone calls. And I think in talking to a dozen or so entertainers, all of us are still looking at each other going, have you done anything? Well, yeah, I try, maybe is it too early to, you know, um, And I, so my sense for me, we've just kind of resigned ourselves that this year, assuming we get fairs later in the year, we will almost all of our, with the exception of Sydney Royal Easter show in April, um, all of our, our contracts are rolling over and I'm just going to take those and I'm not going to try to hustle up any more work really. And then hopefully by IFE, we can, you guys have a little bit better idea of where your budgets are going to be for the coming year. And, and we can start, you know, having more serious conversations about that. You know, well, a- we all, we're going to get there. It's, you know, we survived the pandemic in, in 1918. We survived World War One, World War Two. We survived Vietnam. We survived 9-11. The final, we, we survive, you know. Now, it may look biz- different. Now, maybe not all the fairs do survive. Maybe some of them have to shut down, hopefully not permanently. Maybe they got to close for a couple of years. And, I mean, it would be tragic, but hopefully they make it back. And I think the same goes for entertainers. You're going to see some that don't come back it like that's life you know right, right the resilient ones will come back and and i've already talked to several friends that initially they were thinking if it was only going to be like six or eight months they'd be fine but now i some for entertainer friends are like you know i got a job you know driving for amazon or i got a job doing this or this that and, and i actually like it and i you know i've got health insurance you know right 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 so as long as people are happy and making decisions for their lives that are beneficial then We'll see where it goes. I, for me right. and mine, we will be back at that convention because that is, right. that is my right. family. I belong there. Listen, uh, Jennifer, I've really enjoyed having you on the show. I, you know, I said it was going to be 45 to 60 minutes and we've gone over a little bit, but that's okay. That's <laughs> um, don't apologize as long as you're good on time. I do yep. have one last thing for you. Everybody right. who comes on my show goes through a quick little speed round of questions. Right. Six questions. Give me your best answer to each. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. She looks nervous, folks. I know you can't see her on video, but she is so nervous right now. First question. These are really hard. Favorite okay. fair food? A waffle ice cream sandwich. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes. What's the last book you read? Uh, a Steel Brothers book. But I don't know what, I can't tell you what the name of it is. But it was Steel Brothers. That works. If a movie was made about your life, what actress would play you, past or present? Okay. Mm, that's a tough one. Mm, I did throw a tough one in here on you. Yeah, you did. The next two were much easier. I don't know. I, I think I just like Sandra Bullock, so maybe we'll just go with her. Oh, she's a class act. Yes, so. I could completely see that. Good call on that. Favorite concert you've ever attended? Uh, Jake Owen on our new stage at the fair. Right. It's kind of, I've noticed that question is tough for a lot of fair people because they're like, we see so many concerts. It's really gets tough to pick one. Last question. First celebrity crush. Oh my goodness. I don't know. I didn't really, my, my parents didn't take me to a lot of shows. I was pretty much at home. So I don't know, Luke Perry. I have no Luke idea. Luke Perry, man, 90210. I dig it. Uh, 
Uh, okay, good. <laughs> That's a good answer. It okay, seems the, the, the default answer um, seems to be for the lady seems to be Brad Pitt. But uh, we've had a we've had a couple of a uh, couple of other answers that were like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Okay, <laughs> you know, you never know. Everybody's got their own thing. I, you know, Courtney <laughs> Conkle when I had her on, she held my feet to the fire and she was like, no, 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 no. I answered. Now you got to tell me. And so I confess that my first celebrity and still celebrity crush is Danica McKellar, who was Winnie Cooper on The Wonder Years. She is a class act. Yeah. Yeah. So there it is, Jennifer. Well, you know, if go ahead. You talk about Brad Pitt guy, it, you probably had those younger, he's a Missouri, he's a Missouri guy too. Right. So, but uh, you've had those younger girls on your show. So that's probably, but us older, <laughs> older people, you know, Brad Pitt was just kind of making his move at that point. So. Yeah. I've had some that were, are, were young enough on the show that their celebrity crushes were, are guys that are still like 24 and I'm all, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe this is not the right question to ask. <laughs> Oh, 20, I don't know. Now that I'm 41, uh, I'll be 42 in June. 24 to me, when I was 24, I was like, I'm an adult. But now I look back and I'm like, 24 is still a kid. They're You're still right. a kid. <laughs> and science backs me up on that because the male brain is not fully developed until 25. So <laughs> they're still kids at 24. I love it. I love it. Too so funny. listen, if folks want to reach out and, and contact you and get a hold of you, where can they contact you? Um, they can contact me at the Washington Town and Country Fair website, which is washmofair.com. And, uh, or they can go on our chamber website, washmo.org. Um, all my information is on there, my phone number and email. And yeah, anything I can do to help, um, I'm here. And she's the second vice chair and the fair manager of the Washington Town and Country Fair and the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. I don't know if I got all your titles in, but you're starting to sound like Khaleesi in Game of Thrones with all your titles. That's pretty fancy there, Jennifer. <laughs> Thank you. The girls here in my office, they're like, okay, uh, we have to put president, CEO, CFE, like E-I-E-I-O. Like, do we just have to keep going? Mother of dragons. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it's, uh, I yeah, things have gone well for me. It's been a great 20 years and I'm looking for a great 20 more. So. Awesome. Jennifer Giesick, thanks for being on the show today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.